feeling some of the discomfort that you may be feeling from, from burnout or from stress is really important because it becomes the data that we can use to make change. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. And you know what? That's okay. So each week, we're going to take a funny yet informative look at a specific struggle or big kid problem, if you will. Then we'll break it down with a rotating cast of comedians, personalities, and experts to actually give us the tools and resources to help us solve our big kid problem of the week. From love and relationships, money, career, physical and mental health, bad decisions, and just general life responsibilities, nothing is off limits. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill. And I know I probably say this every week, but I am truly so excited for today's episode. It's one that I know I needed desperately. I mean, we're talking about burnout this week. Guys, we are in the home stretch of 2020. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I'm freaking exhausted. Like this year feels like five years. I'm tired. I'm burnt out and working right now. I mean, that shit feels impossible. If you follow Big Your Problems on Instagram and Twitter, you probably already noticed, but I've been making a lot of burnout jokes lately. But I feel like it's not just me. And honestly, it's not just 2020 either. You know, so many of us have been programmed to grind, grind, grind from a young age. Got to get the grades, get into the good college, get a good job, climb the corporate ladder. Meanwhile, with social media, the pressure is on like never before as we compare our successes and failures against literally everyone else in the rest of the world. It's no shock that people are burning out more and more and earlier and earlier in life. But unlike some of the other big kid problems we talk about on this show, burnout is something we actually have more control over than we may realize. And our guest this week is going to help us not only recognize the signs of burnout earlier on so that we can make changes, but he's also going to give us some tried and true methods to help us bounce back and live happier, healthier lives. Guys, our guest this week is such a cool human. He is a former record label executive turned founder of the mass meditation movement, The Big Quiet. He is also a speaker who just got off of Oprah's 2020 vision tour. I mean, no big deal. Mr. Jesse Israel is in the house. Jesse has such a cool story of battling burnout at an early age and how he has learned to manage stress and anxiety in a much healthier way. And fun fact, I actually go way back with Jesse. Like he had a bicycle gang back in the day in New York called Cyclones, which was just like a big group of people who rode bikes around the city. And I was a member. That's right. I was in a bicycle gang, guys. And it was the highlight of my life. But I've always known Jesse to be this super fun, charismatic guy who everybody loves to be around. So it was so interesting to me to hear about what burnout was doing to his interior life at the same time. So we're going to talk about the signs of burnout, what it's actually doing to our brains, our body, our sex drives, our sleep cycles, all that fun stuff. And we're going to talk about some big and small things that you can do every day to shift your focus. This is an awesome episode. And if you like it, please remember to share this one. Send it to your friends or family members you think might need it. I think everybody probably needs it at this point. Post it on your social and tag us. I mean, you guys know I love resharing you when you post on the gram. And other than that, just relax and enjoy it. Get comfy and we will be right back. We are heading into the holiday season. And if you need a little holiday spirit or plan on entertaining safely this season or just need some awesome gifts, wine is always the answer. 
For those of you who have been listening for a while or follow me on Instagram, you probably already know that my fiance is a co-founder at One Hope Wine. One Hope is a California-based wine company whose mission is to give back with every bottle sold. And they have over $5 million donated to incredible causes around the globe. I can tell you two things about One Hope after sitting on the sidelines for the last seven years. One, their wine is freaking delicious. Like, trust me when I say dating a guy from a wine company has its perks and I have taken full advantage. Like, I've tried all their varietals and I'm constantly impressed with the quality of their wine. It's basically all I drink. And it's not just me. Like, they are award-winning and have 90-plus point Napa Valley wines, which is fancy talk for it. They have exceptional wines. Two, One Hope is actually a brand that is making an incredible difference in the world. Like, I've watched them build a school in Guatemala, plant a forest in Indonesia, provide 3 million meals for children in need and deliver over 190,000 vaccines to help end tropical diseases. And those are just to name a few. Like I know it's easy to pick up a bottle of wine anywhere, but when you buy wine from One Hope, like your dollar is truly doing something good. And wait, that actually brings me to my last point. Because when you start ordering wine to your door, honestly, the rest of your life begins. Like especially during a pandemic, it's nice to avoid any trip to the store. And it's so nice to order a cake and then just have wine on hand whenever you want it or whenever you need a gift. Right now, One Hope has an awesome deal where the more you buy, the more you save. So you'll get 5% off four bottles, 10% off six bottles, 20% off 12 bottles, and earn rewards with every purchase. Oh, and you know I already got my mans to hook us up with a little discount code just for us. So head over to onehopewine.com slash BKP and use code BKP10 at checkout to get an additional $10 off your order. Again, that's one like O-N-E hopewine.com slash BKP and use code BKP10 for $10 off your order today. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Big Kid Problem Podcast. I'm sitting here with an old pal, Jesse Israel in the house. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi. Oh my God. Feels so good to be here. Thanks, Sarah. I'm so glad you could be here. You could take a break from being off the stage of uh, Oprah's 2020 vision tour to uh, hang out with us today. Yeah, you know, a lot going on here in my bedroom during the pandemic. (laughs) Well, you were doing some pretty incredible things before lockdown. So I am so excited to have you here. I mean... We go, we go way, way back, back to the cyclone days. If any, yeah, but, bike, our shared, our shared bike gang. Yeah, we were in a bike, we were in a bicycle gang together. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, which was awesome. But I actually, so for this episode, we're talking about burnout, and so I wanted to take it way, way, way back and kind of hear a little bit about you know your story, you, you, because you kind of have a crazy trajectory. I mean, you were. Were like a you started your own record label. You did some pretty pretty amazing things in your earlier life, um, and I know it led to burnout for you. So, take us back. Take us back in time. Tell us a little bit about okay. your story. Let's go back in time. Fifteen years ago. Wow. Okay, when I was twenty, <laughs> when I was twenty, fifteen years ago, I was twenty years old. I was a sophomore at NYU. My roommate and I uh, started working with the band MGMT who was a college band at the time as well. And we decided that we would, we would start managing... Or we asked them if we could start managing them. And no one really knew what the hell they were doing. We were all you know, young, young, confused people trying to figure out our lives. But we formed this dorm room record label to put out MGMT's first album. And it just worked. I mean, we fucked up a ton, but it worked. And over the next few years of, of you know, being a college student and living a college career, I was also running a full-time business. <sighs> and working with a band that really took off. Yeah, wait, was MGMT just like in your dorm? Like you just randomly knew them? They were actually at Wesleyan College. And my roommate and I, we were at, at NYU. But my roommate, Will Griggs, his cousin was at Wesleyan and was friends with the MGMT guys. And the MGMT guys had made the song Kids in a class and started playing it at dorm parties. And people... Would people loved it, and they would play it like five, six times back to back at these at these college parties. So that's how we first heard that was like something was working there. <laughs> so cool. 
by the time I was 23 and I was like a year or so out of college, I was doing the label full-time and I was just coming out, com- coming out of being a full-time student while also running a full-time business. And I was 23 and already burning out. I didn't know what the symptoms of burnout looked like then, but they were very clear. And the, uh, the stress that I was experiencing was so overwhelming for me that I was getting hit with pretty gnarly anxiety. And then when, by the time I was in my late 20, you know, 23, 24, I was getting panic attacks, which are terribly uncomfortable <laughs> experiences when the nervous system starts to shut down by stress overload. And uh, you kinda, it kind of feels like the world's ending. So it wasn't sustainable. You know, I get home from, from running my business as this young guy and it was so confusing because my body was exhausted and, it, and I was sick often. I was feeling pretty disconnected from myself and was very uncomfortable socially, a lot of social anxiety. I felt a lot of blocks when I was you know, with women. I had a lot of, oftentimes wouldn't be able to get it up. And I was like, in my early 20s, like, what the fuck? And I had this successful business that was really sexy and cool. And I thought I was you know, supposed to be quote unquote happy. <laughs> and there were some things that I was definitely happy about. I you know. A lot to be grateful for, but internally it was really confusing for me. And I and I just kept pushing because that's what I saw reflected around me. Mm. You know, the way that I I had kind of understood what it meant to be a hardworking man, a hardworking young man, was based off of what I saw other hardworking young men do, and what I saw um, older men do. And I, I just mirrored sort of this uh, societal concept of you just hustle hard always, you just go hard. And I really have grown to believe that that mindset can generate financial success, but it rarely creates a more sustainable form of success that allows us to be financially successful, but also enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Because I was building a cool career, but I was not enjoying myself. And I needed, I needed to really hit that first stage of burnout to actually get into meditation. That's how I found meditation as a way to work through some of the stress and anxiety that I was experiencing. Because I didn't feel like I could talk about this shit, especially in the music industry. You know, 10, 15 years ago, we weren't having these conversations. Oh, yeah. These conversations weren't happening on social media. Oh, yeah. And I feel like probably for you too, I mean, you were such like a young buck and probably a C. I mean, you got like catapulted with MGMT, I'm sure, into, you know, into this uh, industry that you probably were dealing with a lot of people who maybe had like longer careers or more experience. I'm sure that probably played a role too. It might have might have been scary at times. Yeah, definitely. There was there was I was doing a lot of comparison to people in the industry who I looked up to. And I gotta say, like I learned a lot from the industry and I'm grateful for it. But there's there's not the best value system in the music industry, at least when I was in it 10, 15 years ago. Mm. You know, the way that people treated each other, the way that people looked out for each other, um, the way that people would speak about each other. It was, it was, it, it didn't feel great. And that was, that, that's what I, that was my leadership. You know, that's like what I was, that's what I saw as the way to do it. Mm. And I knew that, that I knew that it didn't work for me from a physical and like hard work standpoint. And I knew that the values that were being presented and how people treat each other in the music biz weren't working as well. I'd say both of those things played a role in the burnout that I experienced, you know? Yeah. I kind of want to talk a little bit too about like the symptoms you were feeling too. Cause I know, you know, you mentioned some, some of these things like you were feeling emotional blocks, um, like socially and the panic attacks. I mean, if anybody hasn't had a panic attack, like, whew, it's the worst. It's the worst. It really is. Were you having trouble sleeping at this point in your life too? I feel like that kind of goes oh, hand yeah. in hand. Totally. So, you know, not to get too deep into the science here. <laughs> But when the body starts to experience um, more stress than it knows how to, how to handle, it's a result of the body's nervous system, the fight or flight response going into overdrive. And the fight or flight is this really great part of our body's nervous system that uh, helps us survive in the face of something life-threatening. Like when we were hunters and gatherers, if we were walking on the path to hunt our food and a saber-toothed tiger jumped out on the path, fight or flight response would turn on. It would trigger a handful of different stress responses in the body so we could either run for our lives or fight that tiger. But today, in a really short period of time, the world around us has changed so much. And there are tons of fight or flight triggers that we experience in a given day. You get an email from someone that's kind of rude, fight or flight response. You're sitting in an Uber in traffic and you can't move anywhere and everyone's blowing their horns and you're going nuts. It's fight or flight response, right? Social media triggers fight or flight all day for people, Mm -hmm. especially 
when we're beefing in the way that so many people are on social media right now. So my way of saying that, the body's fight or flight response and, and, and the, the triggering of stress that occurs is really designed to keep us alive when there's threat to our survival. But today, the body doesn't know how to discern between the things that will actually kill us and the things that the body just find, thinks it's supposed to save us from, like a bad email. Hmm. So we have a lot of unnecessary stress energy being used in the system. The average person living in a modern city or suburb has about 25 of these fight or flight triggers in a given day. And it takes the body about 90 minutes, takes the metabolism 90 minutes to shift out of fight or flight. So if we're getting 25 of these on average a day and it takes 90 minutes to reset, the body's in a constant state of fight or flight, which means that the body thinks it always needs to be surviving something, even though most of this shit's not actually life-threatening. So when we, we go and, and, and close our eyes at night, we you know, rest in our beds, and we're exhausted from all the stress that we experience, but then we sleep like shit, this is because the body's fight or flight response is on and going, I can't let you fall asleep. There's a saber-toothed tiger that's about to eat you. <laughs> it's just confused. The body's just you know, confused. It can't discern between the difference. So, I went, so in the periods of my life, like this period when I was 23, 24, when I was experiencing burnout and I was experiencing that, that, that sort of past exhaustion of stress, my body was having all those symptoms. The immune system was shot. So I was getting sick every month. I slept like shit. Like I mentioned earlier, I felt really disconnected from myself. So it's hard to connect with other people. And when you look at what stress does to the brain, and this is very real for burnout, right? When we look at what stress does to the brain, the amygdala, which is the brain's stress center, is always firing. It's going stress, 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 stress. And the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain, just like the brain's CEO, it's the center that creativity comes from and great leadership comes from and memory retention and decision-making. It actually shuts down when we experience stress. So the brain CEO taps out when we're experiencing stress when we really need the brain CEO to lead. So it's really tough to be able to show up when we're experiencing stress. Oh, yeah. I feel like everybody can relate to that. And I'm like, damn, where's my <laughs> brain CEO? Dude. <laughs> Come enter the building, please. Right? Yeah. She's been she's Bro been, needs a raise. I know, honestly. She needs she a raise. She needs a raise. Right? Um, when you were going through all, all of this at the time, because like you said, kind of there wasn't so much talk about this stuff 15 years ago, like there is now. There wasn't like podcasts you could turn on that would, would talk about burnout and all of this. Were you doing anything like to self-soothe or were you trying anything to kind of like overcome this that feeling that you had? Yeah, there were a few things I tried. The first was I went to therapy. I started taking an SSRI medication, an antidepressant, anti-anxiety meditation uh, medication called Lexapro. Mm. Shout out and Lexapro. Shout out Lexapro. <laughs> <laughs> and um, by the way, although I am a meditation teacher and stand for wellness, I'm not a pill shamer. And um, I think that these, these medications can be helpful when used in the right ways. That's why I will shout out Lexapro. <laughs> um, but eventually, I found, I found meditation, probably like a year after being on medication and going through therapy. Mm. And meditation was the thing that I found really brought me the most relief. And that was really the word. It was, it was the relief that I was experiencing from the deep rest that meditation brings to the system that really started to shift things for me. How did you originally find meditation? Was it like a friend or like anything? Luckily, I was able to talk about some of this stuff with my parents. Remember, I had a pan I had, after one of the first panic attacks I had, I went to my parents and I just was like, I don't know what's going on. And it was, you know, I was crying. It was freaky. I was like, you know, 23, kind of embarrassed feeling, you know? <laughs> but my parents are, I'm so lucky to have them. They were so supportive and really calmed me down. And my dad, who'd been in, into Buddhist philosophy, wasn't practicing meditation, but he had heard about how it, 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 it was great for stress. And because this was over 10 years ago, there wasn't as much of like a cultural buzz about wellness and meditation. So my dad put me on and then I just started Googling about it and I found a place to learn. Eventually, maybe eight months into practicing different styles of meditation, I learned meditation from Light Watkins, who um, he's taught me a style of meditation called Vedic meditation. I teach something today that's very similar to it. And it just really clicked for me. A lot started to shift in my life once I started practicing regularly. Mm. 
That's a that's a big thing too, because I feel like I've talked to so many people who are interested in meditation, but maybe they try it once or maybe they try one style and they're like, that doesn't work for me. And there's so right. many different styles out there. So what's yeah. the one? Yeah, that's real. The one that you do, that's the, um, uh, say it again, Vyar... Vedic. Vedic. Is that, Vedic is that, that's the, um, where you say a mantra? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's similar to TM, Transcendental Meditation, mm-hmm. same mantra. What really clicked for me about it was with this style of meditation, it's not about clearing the mind of thought, right? It's not about stopping the monkey mind. When we close our eyes to meditate and we think that that's what we're supposed to do, which some traditional styles of meditation will teach. But if we close our eyes and think we're supposed to not think and then we notice the mind's thinking, then we go, oh, I suck at meditation. It's not for me. It's a huge misconception. Everybody's brain thinks. And especially for those of us that are just starting meditation, to think that we can just quiet the mind instantly is, is incredibly rare. The mind thinking and running when we close our eyes is totally natural. It's actually a really important part of the process of meditating. So it's not that we're bad meditators. We're just human beings. So I always remind people of that and remind people that you can learn meditation in ways that are effortless and easy and still incredibly effective. And I'll shout out what we teach through the big quiet. We teach a style of meditation. It's called the one giant mind technique where it's just that, you know, we teach it virtually in, um, in zoom groups and it's a style of meditation that makes it really easy for anyone to practice, literally anyone. And the benefits are incredible. Mm. Talk to me about we'll some, of the, some of these benefits. I want to get, I want to get people uh, excited to try meditating. <laughs> sure. When, when we experience stress, like you heard me talk about a couple times and the body is feeling stress, uh, a, a major part of that experience is something called cortisol. A lot of listeners are probably familiar with it. It's a hormone that gets pumped through the blood when we're in a stressful situation. It's kind of like the alarm system going off in a house or a building, but inside the body. It goes, emergency, emergency, stress, stress. But when we start practicing meditation, the cortisol that gets pumped through our blood stops. And instead of cortisol, we start to get hit with <clears throat> serotonin and dopamine. These are the chemicals that get triggered through certain psychedelic drugs and Molly, shout out Molly. <laughs> and we can generate and create them naturally in our system through meditation. These, these hormones create a sense of happiness and well-being. And instead of the body's fight or flight response being triggered all day, it turns off. Meditation turns off the body's fight or flight. And instead, it turns on something called the parasympathetic nervous system. This is the body's relaxation response. Really simple. Close our eyes, we meditate. Even when the mind's wandering, this is actually still occurring. Fight or flight turns off. Relaxation response turns on. We start to get these good hormones pumping through the blood. Our immune system starts to strengthen. The body's natural ability to fight infectious disease starts to go up. We finally notice that we can sleep deeply. We become more rested. Meditation is like a form of accelerated rest. It's actually significantly more restful than sleep, right? And as a result, like we talked about, brain CEO turns on and we start to increase our creativity, our decision-making, our ability to learn and you know, retain knowledge. And what we start to notice as we become clear with ourselves, right? Less of these blocks that, can, that we can experience in, in sort of the stressful state, less of the exhaustion that we experience in burnout, start to become clear about who we are. We start to become clear about what we stand for within our roles at work, within our relationships, within our friendships, within our families, we start to become more discerning of how we can actually contribute to the world around us in a way that has impact, which is ultimately why I love meditation so much. It's not just so we can feel better and look better and have less stress. It's so when we're able to do that and have that in our lives, we can more meaningfully contribute to the world around us. This allows us to live a more fulfilling life. Hmm. And also, I think when more people are giving themselves to the needs of the time, we wind up having a happier world. We wind up solving for more of the problems in the world. So I like to look at the benefits of meditation through the lens of what happens on an individual level and then what happens on a societal level. Yeah. I mean, those are pretty pretty big areas of, uh, of benefits. I have a question for you. So at this time in your life, you're obviously already burnt out. You're already stressed as can be. And now you're adding a meditation practice. Did you find at least in the beginning, like it was hard to kind of keep up with that because you were already kind of 
already overwhelmed with other things? Or like, how did you kind of make time for that? And did you struggle with that at all? Totally. Yeah. So what I realized was that I personally just need, just needed to start with um, a manageable amount of time. So when I began, for me, it was, it was somewhere between three to five minutes. I actually can't remember which, which it was, but it was a short amount of time every morning that I practiced. Three to five. And I learned a technique. Three to five. Three to five minutes is what I, was what I started with. This is before I learned Vedic meditation. I learned um, from Shambhala, which is they have centers or maybe had centers where they would teach free you know, Buddhist lineage meditation. And what I would do was, this is really important, every morning when I would leave my bathroom, that was my cue to sit down and meditate. Mm. So I would, the second I leave the bathroom, I'd sit down on the couch, meditate for three to five. And that was it. And after about a month, it became so routine. Leave the bathroom, sit on the couch, practice for a few minutes. I would reward myself after every meditation by marking it in an app that I was using to track my progress. Mm. So, um, and my body was starting to feel better. So by a month, and they say it takes anywhere from, you know, three weeks plus to form a new habit. I found that my body just wanted it in the morning. So it was very easy for me to increase the time. So when I learned Vedic meditation and the practice is 20 minutes twice a day, it was very easy for me to move into what would otherwise have been a really daunting amount of time because I already had built this habit and and not to get too much into it. But when we're looking at how we can build new habits in our lives, what's really important is to look at what are the things that we're already doing that we can attach a habit to and then reward ourselves for doing it every time we do it. And that's what I did. The thing that I was already doing, it's called a cue, was leaving my bathroom every morning. Every morning I leave the bathroom. It's usually the first thing I do, pull a water on the face, have a pee pee. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down, meditate, reward myself by marketing my phone. This is how we form habits. It's, it's how do we attach it to a cue and reward ourselves after we mm. do it. And after about three weeks to a month, it starts to become a habit. So that's how I did it. The other thing was, and I, and, I, and I talk about this when I teach meditation, because when I teach meditation, I'm teaching people how to meditate for 20 minutes once or four twice a day. It's a big chunk of time. And what I talk about is how to really reframe time. Because, because we are so focused on shit from the past and stuff we're freaked out about in the future, we feel so overwhelmed in the present moment. It's hard to remember that practicing med- meditation for 20 minutes twice a day, which probably sounds crazy to a lot of people, that's 40 minutes is less than 3% of an entire 24-hour period. It's about 2.8%. So 2.8% of your time in a 24-hour period can so greatly enhance that 97.2% of time that you spend doing everything else. Deeper sleep, way more effective eyes open time. <laughs> so I try to remind myself and remind people of that too. You know, if we can do something that's such a such a tiny percentage that can so greatly affect the majority of our time, it's worth really figuring out how to make that happen. Mm. Yeah, and I I totally agree with that sentiment. Like I I did I did a similar. It's probably a little bit different than the um, the meditation that you learned from, but I did um, Emily Fletcher's course. I've actually I've had her on the podcast before. So similar. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really similar. Yeah. yeah, and it's the I've never I'm so bad. I've never gotten to the second one a day. But she does talk. I always, I always do the one in the morning, and I think the piece that I'm missing is attaching it to what did you, what did you call it? Issa had a good word for it. A cue. A cue. Because I always have Something a cue. That already happens. Yeah, yeah, I have a cue in the morning that it. My morning like is always the same every morning, but my days just go crazy because like I work for myself and it's all over. So like I, I feel like I need to find a better cue, and maybe that'll, maybe that'll yep. turn it around for me. That's. That's a great way to look at it. A, a good cue and a good reward for the first month or so. And by the way, shout out to Emily Fletcher. She's one of my teachers as well. And, and, a, and a good friend of mine. She's a, a fantastic teacher. She's a great teacher. I, I tried so many styles of meditation. And I'm going to link a couple in show notes because I think people need to kind of play around and find what they like. And mm-hmm. um, I was I was daunted by the fact of the, the 40 minutes a day with Emily. But she does such a good job of explaining it. Um, it's really like I did it maybe two years ago and it's really stuck, which is impressive. Awesome. <laughs> That's so cool to hear. Yeah. It's, it does good stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So you started obviously on this meditation path, you start feeling a little bit better and you're still working in this job. You're still running a record label. So what, what happened from there? Did you do any, did you do any changes like with your, with your corporate life? to kind of accommodate this new feeling or what happened? 
Well, what I noticed was after starting to meditate on a regular basis and figuring out how to work it into my busy schedule, like we talked about, in a pretty short period of time, I started to notice that the stress was going down and that the anxiety was really um, becoming more limited. And I stopped having panic attacks, which is huge. So the first thing that I noticed was I was able to feel more like me. And then as I continue to practice regularly and my relationship to stress really changed. By the way, it's not like I stopped feeling stressed or I stopped feeling anxious. I just know it would happen less. Mm. And when it would happen, I felt like I was able to move through it and have the self-awareness to understand how to move through it more so than before. So I want to be clear. Mm. Meditation is not a silver bullet. You don't start meditating and then everything's it's like, you're good. Everything's golden. It helps a lot though. So for me, it was, yes, first noticing that some of those stresses went down and some of those mental health challenges went down. But then I started to feel a lot more clear about what excited me within my role, within my label, what really lit me up and how I could, how I could lean into the stuff that energized me. Because when I was focused on the elements of my work that made me feel alive and excited... I was able to do that work for an extended period of time. And I was also noticing I was having way more impact on people when I was doing that work, as opposed to the elements of my role that were draining and wiping me out Mm. and really limiting my ability to have an impact. Now, I believe that we're all capable of getting clear about the elements within work that energize us and de-energize us. And then once we've done that, getting clear about how we can problem solve and get creative. So the majority of what we give ourselves to in work can go towards the stuff that energizes us. And I, I'm very aware of, of the fact that there's a lot of privilege in being able to say, oh, I want to just focus on the stuff that feels good in work. I do believe we're all capable of it if we're smart about what we give ourselves to and how we show up in the workplace. For me, my role started to shift because I focused more on doing the things that really lit me up. And as a result, lots of new stuff was born. We formed a, um, a tech fund and I started to oversee this technology fund. So instead of just investing in bands, we were also investing in tech startups and helping them navigate the music industry. It's really fun. So for me, it wasn't like, oh, I meditate. I need to go leave my label and start a nonprofit. <laughs> it was, uh, how can I start to show up differently? And it was interesting certain friendships changed. Mm. New friendships came into my life and friendships I had before shifted and I kind of lost touch with certain people. Same with the way, same with relationships and, and the way that I was dating, right? There was changes that were occurring there. And this is a really exciting part of meditation. We start to get more clear about ourselves. We start to get more in alignment about how we show up and all the things that we're in relationship around. So a few years into practicing regularly, it became clear that I had reached sort of the max growth period at my label, running this business, this music and tech business. It had been nine years. I was 29. Mm. And it just became really clear. I, I, had, I had reached the end of that growth period and it was time for the next thing. And I would say that my, my meditation practice really allowed me to get clear about my gut, You know that intuitive feeling that we just have. It, allow, it really allows us to get clear. We hear it. And I think it also gives us, it's definitely given me the courage to then act on that gut. So I had maybe, I don't know, six months of savings. And I was able to leave my label and then go start experimenting and exploring and figuring out what was next. Oh, dude, that's not easy. That's not easy. As I'm making like a huge... It was, yeah, it fucked me up actually. <laughs> yeah. No, but like making like a hard choice like that, you know, like a... Based off of based off of your gut, and I feel like so many of us, so many of you guys listening, have probably experienced this, where you just have that gut feeling where you know what to do, but that doesn't always make it an easy step. And I know, I, I mean, I've I've right. I've left my corporate job before too. I mean, leaving the security and all of the things that come with it, um, it's a big decision. So I don't take lightly that you were able to not only make the decision, but then also the follow through. Because I think a lot of us get caught up on the how and the, you know, what's this going to look like on the other side? It could be be tough. I I appreciate you acknowledging that. And I also want to shout out, because we're just, we're throwing in shout outs here and there. (laughs) I want to shout out anybody who's on the alternative work path. Because like, you know, Sarah, it's, incredibly exciting and it's also incredibly isolating and scary a hundred percent i would say that um we don't have many models societal models around how to do it because i think so much of our social societal and cultural constructs support more traditional ways of building careers 
Also, shout out to every anyone who's doing you know a more a more traditional career path. If that works for people, that's awesome. Those are important roles too. But for those of us that feel called to doing uh, to taking an alternative or, or a less conventional path, it can be really scary. And following the gut around that, which is usually the compass for people that take this alternative path, is really scary because the gut often doesn't line up with the logic hmm. that everything around us tells us we need to operate by. Very true. You know, like for me, when I left my label, I made this pros and right before I left, I made this pros and cons list. And the pros were awesome. You know, it was like great business partners. I'd been building this thing for nine years. It was established. We were starting to make good money. I had this, you know, beautiful office loft in Soho, et cetera, et cetera. You know, music was great. And then the cons list was only one thing. It was that my heart wasn't in it anymore. And like we have we have no framing for how to pursue something like that <laughs> because because we we put so much emphasis on the pros in, in, in this in a situation like this. So for me to step out and follow the gut, or for anyone that's listening that's taken that leap, if it's with work or if it's with a romantic relationship, when you just know it's not the right fit and you and you have to end it, right? There's so many different ways it may show up. It is so it can be so scary and uncomfortable because we don't have many support systems around how to follow that. But in the tradition of meditation that I teach from the Vedic lineage, we refer to that as nature's intelligence, something greater than us that is that is calling to us how to move forward, even though it may not look like the way that society tells us to operate. And when we give ourselves to it, often what happens is nature supports or the universe supports following that intelligence, that, that read that's being downloaded to us. Mm. Very... I love, I love that. We're talking about burnout in this episode, and it couldn't be a better time to shout out one of our sponsors of the show, Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy to use app. Whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Being overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. And it is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. You guys have heard me talk about meditation before. I mean, I swear by it. I'm I'm someone who has anxiety on the reg and meditation has helped me get that shit a little more under control. And especially when I was first starting to meditate, Headspace was a great introduction. Like I love how they guide you through meditations to take the guesswork out of doing it. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. It makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Just go to headspace.com slash big kid. That's headspace.com slash big kid for a free one month trial with access to Headspace full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal that they're offering right now. So again, just head to headspace.com slash big kid today. Before we get back to the show, I'm here to wish you happy holidays from Hello Tushy, the number one way to go number two. For years, bidets have cost thousands of dollars and were available only to the richest of a-holes. But now the Hello Tushy modern bidet attachment is here to democratize the blessings bestowed by bidets and offer clean buttholes to everyone. Hello Tushy attaches to your existing toilet, no electricity or additional plumbing needed, and it cleans your butt with a precise stream of fresh water, all for just $79. And your Hello Tushy will cut toilet paper use by 80%, so it pretty much pays for itself simply by how much TP it saves you. Because that's right, with Hello Tushy, you don't wipe at all. I mean, consider it your new hands-free butt buddy. Every Hello Tushy bidet attachment comes with a 60-day risk-free happy butt guarantee and a 12-month 
warranty. So stop wiping your butt and start washing and join the millions of happy Hello Tushy customers right now. Plus, Hello Tushy is the perfect gift for the holidays. See what I did there? Get 10% off plus free shipping right now at hellotushy.com slash bigkid. That's hellotushy.com slash bigkid for 10% off and free shipping today. Sometimes though, I will say, I'm like, sometimes I know I've taken the leap at certain at certain uh, pieces of my life and I feel like the universe doesn't follow suit. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, like sometimes, and that can be, that can be tough. Sometimes I feel like, you know, when you're taking risks, sometimes it doesn't always work out and there, and it can be, then you have to pivot and that's like a whole other, it's a whole other thing. But that's when meditation really comes in handy too. <laughs> well, and this is very, very, like a very much like meditation guy perspective, but my, I would say that when that happens and that definitely does happen, by the way, my journey of leaving my label and pursuing this was filled with moments like that and filled with discomfort. But my, my perspective on that is that it's less of it's not working out. It's actually working out just the way it's supposed to because we learn tremendously. That's how we evolve and go into rapid growth mode is when we have shit. It didn't go as planned. By the way, nothing ever goes as planned. And we're facing extreme discomfort after having just made this jump. But what winds up happening is we learn so much from those experiences that eventually you reach a point where you go, shit, I needed to have all of those uncomfortable experiences to get to where I am right now. I don't know if you've had that feeling. But I think that those wind up actually being really important moments. And those moments become really important teachers. But this path, following the alternative path, following the gut, taking those leaps, it's not easy. Everybody would do it if it was. Mm -hmm. So there's an an earning of the stripes that's required to go along with that. And and, you know, we come out bruised, but we come out strong. It's very true. Very true. I feel like I've got some bruises. I could, I could, uh, we could go bruise for bruise here. Um, one thing I, I, that you said that I really, really like too, um, is just like even just learning to strengthen that muscle with even just taking your day to day stuff. And like you said, you kind of started following your heart a little bit in the more in the direction of going towards things that like really lit you up. Like I, I'm even experiencing that even in my own work because I've I've pivoted in so many ways and sometimes I catch myself. I'm like, oh, how did I end up, you know, in this situation where I'm doing a lot of stuff that I don't actually really want to be doing? Right, right. So I like that. I I like that you mentioned that, and I feel like that's like a good little way of like strengthening that muscle. You know, it's just making those little day to day choices. Yeah, and also because we're talking about burnout here. To me, and I and I would love if that's now or at some point in this podcast to talk about how we can identify when burnout's starting to creep in because there are clear symptoms. Oh, please! And then also talk, and then also to talk about how we can recover from burnout because I know so many people are burnt out, especially after this doozy of a year. Yeah. But what I was going to say was that getting clear and really just the simple exercise of making a list of all of the things that energize us in our work, the things where we feel alive when we do them. Maybe it's within our immediate roles, but maybe it's just things that we give ourselves to like public speaking or singing or creating or doing art, whatever, but really getting clear about what are all the things that really energize us and want us. And then what are the things that we can give ourselves to that really deplete our energy, that, it, that, we, that we feel that kind of sense of tiredness from? Um, this is a great exercise because then what we can do is once we get clear about that is we can start to build the self-awareness around how can we then start to come up with ways to give ourselves more to the things that energize us within work, within our free time, within our hobby time, within our friendships, and really problem solve for how we can either um, make changes, hire people for those of us that are entrepreneurs, do something different so we're spending less of the time going towards the things that de-energize us. This is a really important step in the bigger role of burnout because there is this concept, especially for entrepreneurs, but I would say that I do, because I do a lot of work with, with Fortune 500 companies, that this is true in the corporate space too, but there's this concept that we got to be working hard, always, always pushing. I used to work out of a WeWork uh, co-working space and every morning when I'd walk in, there was a sign that would say, hustle harder. It's a nice motivating concept, <laughs> but if if we're always pushing and not making the space to 
really get clear about what's energizing us versus what's depleting us or making the space to rest or making the space to turn off the fight or flight, then all the hard work we're doing really starts to become ineffective. And we stop enjoying life. What's the point of life if we're not enjoying it? Dude. <laughs> so I think that this like energizing versus de-energizing stuff is a great starting point for people to consider. I love that exercise. I've done that like in business-wise, like taking all the things that I like because I, I mean, I, I, for my work, like I mean, I, I make revenue from all different types of streams. So I've done that. I've made like the columns before, and like, what are the things that I'm doing that I like versus the things that I'm not liking? But I like mm. making it broader and just being like, you know, even making sure that you're making time, like you said, in your day for even some of the things just, that you just enjoy daily. I think is so important, right. and a lot of us we do forget. And you're so right. I, I think it's like our our culture right now, where we're just constantly yeah. trying to get to the next level. I always feel too, like I, I even before this year, I mean, I feel like 2020 kind of forced this on onto us a little bit more. But before this year, I always felt like taking a day off or like, you know, mm. not if I had a day where I wasn't really feeling totally on or I wasn't didn't get a ton of sh- shit done that day, I always felt like such a failure. And sometimes mm. it's not, it's not a failure. It's sometimes you just need that break. Totally. I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> this is a major flex. <laughs> uh, comment when I when I mentioned this, I just acknowledge that. But when I was on tour with Oprah at the at the my segment on each tour stop after the meditation, I would do a talk and a meditation, and then at the very end, Oprah would come on stage, and she and I would have a conversation. And what a dream! And one of the <laughs> <laughs> it, it really was it was insane. It was in front of fifteen thousand people, and you know all these major cities. But one of the main conversations that we would have was about what you just said, which was. You know, Oprah would say to the audience, who feels like they need more rest in their life? And then the whole arena would put their hands up. And Oprah and I would talk about making this shift from feeling like rest or taking a day off in your case is lazy or something to feel some form of entrepreneurial guilt around. And instead, seeing rest as a form of power, seeing rest as, as just as important as being an effective hard worker. and uh, it was it was so interesting to see how that would resonate with any audience, with any person, any age, any gender. I think that this is just one of these 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 cultural moments that we need to shift out of, which is this concept that we always need to be doing. Mm-hmm. We always need to be achieving, bettering ourselves, posting on social media, um, you know, moreness. Just this concept of more, more, more. It's exhausting. It really is. It really is. It's not sustainable. I think I saw a quote somewhere that like it hit me like like a freaking brick that was like rest is productive. Period. I'm like, yes. <laughs> it really is. That's it. <laughs> it really is. So true. That's it. That's it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you mentioned you mentioned um a little bit earlier, and I do want to make sure that we hit on this, like touching on some of the symptoms of burnout. Like when you think burnout is creeping in. Yeah. So to tie it to my personal story. You know, I, I left this label and then didn't know what I wanted to do next. But long story short, wound up organizing huge group meditations and found myself becoming a meditation teacher and someone that talks about this stuff and works with executives and big leaders to address these exact issues that we've been talking about here. And the first three years, I've been doing this work now for five years with a big quiet. For the first three years of doing that work, I burned out three times. So I was burning out while doing the work of trying to help other people not burn out. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think that oftentimes we need to experience toxic stress and we need to experience burnout maybe more than once to understand that there are patterns that exist and to understand how we can really actually do something about those patterns and change them. The last thing I want to do is make anyone listening feel shitty about feeling stressed out right now because so many people do. And it's really just the norm of our culture to feel stressed. I talk with enthusiasm around this because I'm passionate about helping people move out of it because life can be so much more enjoyable. But for anyone that is feeling stressed, know that that is actually important. Feeling some of the discomfort that you may be feeling from, from burnout or from stress is really important because it becomes the data that we can use to make change. The thing that I see all the time when I work with companies is not how stressed out people are. It's that people are aware of how stressed out that they are, but don't do anything about it. Mm. That's the real issue. So 
let's be aware of the fact that we have that there's a lot of stress and then let's take responsibility for our well-being because as we start to take that responsibility and feel better like i said earlier the way that we impact other people in the world around us enhances so in regards to the symptoms what we start to notice when we're moving into burnout is is exhaustion around basic work stuff so i i found myself starting to get some burnout symptoms at a few months into the pandemic mm. Because I went from being on this Oprah tour to literally the week the Oprah tour ended, the pandemic happened, and I went all in on trying to help people virtually with meditation and didn't get any post-tour rest time. So a few months into the pandemic, it was like, uh-oh, I was starting to get these symptoms. So for me, it was like you know, 9.30 a.m. Zoom call, first Zoom call of the day, and the call's done. And I'm like, I don't think I have the fucking energy in me to work for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> right? When we start noticing that we're getting really tired from relatively basic work functions, this is, this is one symptom. Another symptom is when we start to feel kind of like a, like, a, like a hopelessness, it can feel sort of like a subtle or sometimes more extreme depression, specifically around things that once excited us in work mm-hmm. or things that once excited us in life, we kind of feel like, well, I don't care. Right? We start to notice, what's that about? This, this is a symptom of, of burnout. We also notice that we're getting sick. The stress that we're experiencing starts to become really noticeable. We feel exhausted regularly. And, and, and we're noticing we're not as creative. We're not as sexual. We don't look as healthy, right? These things start to come up. These are, these are signs that, it's, that, it's, that, that burnout is starting to occur. So if we're able to notice these things and start to apply some self-awareness to them so we can make some changes, and we can talk about that in a second, what we wind up doing is slowing down the process of burnout because if burnout fully kicks in, recovering from it can take months. Mm. Recovering from burnout is a long process. So we really want to make sure that we're doing is as we start to notice the symptoms that we start taking action, even if they're small actions, to start to uh, shift out of the patterns that we're in. Yes. Oh my God. Even you're naming some of these. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> like check, yeah, check, yeah. check. I mean, I was too. Yeah. And let me be real. Like as I was naming them, I'm like, yeah, like some of that shit's real for me too right now also. Yeah. Like, and, and I, we have, we have to remember, like we are living in a really intense time. Really intense. So like if you're not burned anyone, out right now, like. To some extent, right. Yeah. So, and it, right. So it's like, and, and that's part of the reality too. And part of this is also being gentle with ourselves and being easy about the fact like this has been a fucked up year. This is a crazy week right now that we're in. And having some understanding for that is is really important as we as we're able to work through this stuff. And also knowing it's not about being perfect. Mm-hmm. It's really not. Yeah. It's about being human. And 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 part of how I'd like to see us shift culture so being human starts to look different is being human means less of we're just stressed all the time. Being human means more of we're just aware of when we're becoming stressed so we know how to make changes. Yeah. And how we can take better care of ourselves, have conversations around it lead with that in mind, have businesses that celebrate this process, podcasts like yours, making this message more clear. So we, so, and I'd love to talk also about some of the ways that we can, we can move out of burnout. Yes, please give it to us. <laughs> <laughs> First one is not going to be a surprise. Meditation is really helpful because it brings so much rest into the system. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned earlier, it turns off the fight or flight response, turns on the relaxation response. If you can be doing that at least once a day, for ideally five minutes, so at least five minutes, ideally 20 minutes, this is going to create a tremendous shift because it's going to start bringing more rest into the system and you're going to get some, you're going to start getting some of the benefits that we talked about. So that's the first thing. You can do that by taking a course like Emily's or the one that I offer through the Big Quiet. You can do that by downloading meditation apps and being guided through meditations on a daily basis, like the One Giant Mind app or Calm or Headspace. Um, this is a great first step. Some of the other things that we can start to do that are really important, prioritizing rest. I don't know if, if this is a coincidence. I don't actually wear this all the time. Ah! These are the shirts that we made on tour with Oprah. Amazing. Because <laughs> you deserve rest. Amazing. <laughs> I'm going to link those in show notes. I swear I don't wear this every day. Yeah. The audience can't see it, but it's a sick shirt. I'm going to post it. You deserve rest. I want that tattooed on my face, honestly. And that's real. It's about starting to look at how you can do less. So it's like sleep in on Saturday if you're able to and just watch Netflix in bed. Take some nights off. 
give yourself more of the rest that you really feel your body needs and be aware of when you feel a sense of guilt around it or a sense of shame around it or laziness. Notice when you feel that and then kiss it goodbye because this is actually one of the most important things that you can be doing. Or like you said, one of the great forms of of productivity, giving yourself permission to rest and changing that mindset, sleeping in, going to sleep earlier. Uh, Next thing that I'll, I'll speak to and by the way, I don't expect people to do all of these, but if you, can, if you can start to implement a couple of these, that's great. Our phones and the amount of information that we process through our phones and our computers is very jarring to our body system. As, as, a, as a fun side, side fact, the amount of information that we would process in our entire lives when we lived in tribes, which is how we existed for a majority of our time on this earth, the amount of information we, we, that we process in an entire lifetime living in tribes is equivalent to the amount of information we process in one day to day. But our brains have not biologically evolved in this short period of time to a place where we can actually handle that. So really understanding, yeah, that's real. So really understanding that we need to create some boundaries for the way we use our phones and our devices, right? It's like, we've got, we got handed these smartphones and these social media uh, accounts without any training or understanding how to use them. It's like, it's like you know, giving a kid unlimited food without teaching a kid how to eat. Mm-hmm. Right? We just gorge ourselves on this stuff. By the way, I'm not someone who is anti-social media. I actually like it quite a bit. But when I gorge myself on it, yeah. right, mindless scrolling forever, right? all, you know, all the stuff, like constant news, I start to really dislike it. By the way, that's a really... Uh, a great way to add to some of the discomfort around burnout. So we can start to get clear about boundaries. This is tough, but if we can get clear about boundaries is really important. So the ones that are really helpful for me, which are very doable, one hour before you go to sleep, off your phone. It will change the way that you sleep. It will change the levels of rest that you get. Mm. The blue light that's emitted from your phone and also from your iPad and laptop, you can say it, that's true. The blue light that comes off these devices the body uh, uh, thinks is the sun. There's a similar light frequency to the sun. So it confuses the body's circadian rhythm. It's like being outdoors in the sun right before you go to sleep. It confuses the system. So we can take about an hour before we go to sleep off these devices. This is super helpful. I also recommend charging the phone outside of the bedroom and getting an analog alarm clock. Game changer for sex, game changer for romance, and for deep sleep. No phones in the bedroom, no scrolling. Other thing Game changer for phones, sex, you, really? Big time. Really? Because think about it. Think about this. my blue light glasses when, when, as we speak. <laughs> there we go. See that selfie light reflection? That's oh, selfie yeah. ring reflection. <laughs> yeah, you know. Right. I got mine right there. Beautiful. Love it. <laughs> the, the, reason why it's, the reason why it's a game changer around sex is because for a lot of us, the bedroom and the bed has become the office. Think about how, how often we check our emails and we're responding to emails and you know we're doing very unsexy stuff in the place that's really designed for sleep and lovemaking. Mm-hmm. So the more we can get that energy out of there, the better we sleep, the better we have sex. Uh, it's very helpful. I really recommend getting an analog alarm clock, like a little battery-operated one off of Amazon and using that for those of you that use alarms. It's really helpful. And the last thing I'll say about the phones is... Slide that thing on airplane mode before you go to sleep. And when you wake up in the morning, even if you use your phone as an alarm, do not slide off of airplane mode while you're still in bed. Don't download the world of news and work and social media into your bed first thing when you wake up. Get up, stretch, have some time in the bathroom, ideally meditate, have your coffee or whatever. This, I know it's really tough, Creating this buffer before we start our day really changes the way that we go into our day. It's really helpful. This is one of those things I'm like, I know this. I'm like, I've, I know you're not supposed to, you know, check the phone before bed. I know you're not supposed to wake up and scroll on social media, but like I always, and I'll do it. Like I'll go like a week or two where I'm like, I'm going to make a change. And then I just fall right back into it. It can be a hard, it's a slippery slope. It's tough. Yeah. That's why charging the phone out of the bedroom is so helpful for me because I literally can't. I honestly, I, you, know, you literally can't check it. I have heard that. Um, Brandon and I have talked about doing that. And I think we just got to do it. I, I, I'm actually just very interested to try it. 
I'm going to try it. I'm going to report it. back. Do it and, and let us all know how it goes. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> and I want to say briefly, I want to touch briefly on a couple other things quickly because yes. they're important. Yes, please. The other one is around human touch. This is really relevant to our, our you know, pandemic quarantine age. Touch from other people is so healing. And for a lot of people out there who don't have partners or people that where they can get that touch from, figuring out ways to get that touch from friends. If it's just like hugging people, uh, if you're able to afford massage, massage is so good for helping relieve the body from burnout. Just like getting that human touch, loosening up the muscles. And then the last one that I want to speak to is nature. Getting time in nature is, I'd say, I would say it's between rest and getting time in nature. These are the best ways to recover from burnout and slow down burnout symptoms. Mm. So putting your feet in grass or sand or mud or whatever nature you have access to, there are actual electrons that move through the earth's surface, through the body's skin, into our body and almost instantly start to create healing benefits. Like real science shows this. Getting your feet on the earth, even if it's just for 30 minutes or 30 seconds, is so helpful. If you're able to take a little bit of time away, if it's a day or if it's a weekend to be in nature, it's so resetting for the body's nervous system. And just for the brain in general, right? We are designed to be in nature. We are designed to actually be touching nature all the time. And it's a very new phenomenon to live in something called a city mm-hmm. and to live in, you know, a, you know, I, I, before I moved to LA at the start of this year, I lived in Bushwick across the street from a concrete factory. Shout out Brooklyn. <laughs> and I would go months without my feet touching the actual earth, right? And this is just a new phenomenon for the body. So, so how can we get out in nature more, even if it's just for a couple of minutes? It's really resetting. And for those of you that want to do what I would say is probably like the most effective sort of industrial strength tool for resetting from burnout and, and helping get the body back into a good place is doing a solo trip in nature. I'm not talking about like you go jump in the wilderness like alone or survival or some shit, but rent an Airbnb or a cabin spend at least a weekend, ideally do it by yourself. You bring your own food. So you make your own meals. You have your phone off, your computer's off. You bring a couple books and a journal and you can do it for uh, a couple of days. I like to do it for over a week. Oh, wow. And for that period of time, no distractions in nature, making food, writing, reading, meditating, walking. This is an incredible reset because without distractions, the body starts to heal itself. And actually, a lot of creativity comes up in the process. Mm. So that's it. Damn. I, I, a lot of stuff to sit with. I, I love, I will, I love, I would love to do this solo trip in nature. I'm always, I watch too much true crime. Like, <laughs> <laughs> too scared. <laughs> you get spooked out. I'm too I get scared. It. But, um, I was going to say that because I, I felt the same way living in a city. Uh, there would be, you know, like it's, it's a lot, a little bit harder to get nature. Uh, do you have any like research or have you heard anything about like keeping houseplants? Like, I say that as a joke because I've seen so many memes about like people getting houseplants over the quarantine, but I feel like that's got to, count for something, right? I find that it helps. You know, I love, I love having bedrooms. I love having plants in my bedroom and in my home, right? You get, you get the goodness that the plants emit in the air. Also, it's kind of trippy, but you can put your, your, your fingers in the soil of a plant or like touch the plant and get some of those benefits. And science also supports that that's real. It's just a little weird. You're like sitting on your bed, you know, in, (laughs) in wherever you are with your little fingers in the soil. But it's you'll 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 get the charge from that. That's so nature is so healing. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we are we're wrapping up on time. I feel like you've given us so many great tools, and we I, I've I've loved talk, talking with you. This has been so so helpful. And I did want to get to more about the big quiet because I know in your story you obviously you moved from your record label and started this organization. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Because maybe maybe people want to get involved. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, sir. Yeah, so the, my, my company is called The Big Quiet. We host mass meditations for huge groups of people. So thousands of people where we meditate together. And we do it at really special places like Madison Square Garden, Top of the World Trade Center. Uh, like I mentioned right before the pandemic, The Big Quiet and I were on tour with Oprah hosting these mass meditations and sold out arenas throughout the US, which is a wild experience to do this with you know, fifteen to 17,000 people at a time. Um, 
And because of my passion for music and my time in the music industry, our events, when we, after we meditate, people open their eyes, we have musicians perform like acoustic or raw versions of their songs. So it's, it's an interesting blend of popular culture and music and great spaces and also wellness and meditation and community and connection. It's the things that I'm really passionate about and the things that I sense people really need. Um, so when we're not in a pandemic age, we tour the big quiet in the same way that a band tours. Our last tour right before the Oprah tour was a 10 city big quiet tour. Um, so it's great to be able to bring this to people's towns and to have these moments. So for people that are listening and interested, go to thebigquiet.com, add your email so you'll under so you can learn about when we'll come to your city next, hopefully in the next year. You can also find us at the big quiet at the big quiet, which is our Instagram. Right now, because we're not touring and doing big events, we're really focused on teaching people community for real, like actually teaching people how to meditate in community. So we do, we're, we're, we're teaching, we're doing Zoom, virtual learning through Zoom. It's videos on, it's interactive. You feel like you're a part of something with other people. And then um, for people who complete this course, it's called the Big Quiet 101. We then have regular group meditations. Um, myself and other teachers provide one-to-one support so people can continue with their meditation practice and just have that human support that I think so many of us need when we're moving through the challenges that we've talked about on this podcast. So if you also go to thebigquiet.com or go to the Big Quiet Instagram handle, you can learn about our next course. We do it every month. It's been so great learning with people, having real community, although it's virtual, it's, it's effective. So that's been a really cool part of the work. And I, I also just do a lot of public speaking around this stuff too. And love working with corporations. I teach at lots of companies. I work a lot with with executives and leaders. And there's if you're interested in my stuff, it's at Jesse Israel is my handle, and jesseisrael.com is where I have more of my information about corporate stuff and public speaking work. Awesome. I'm gonna include everything in show notes for anybody curious. And I have to say too, I mean, I've done Big Quiet before. I think one of the coolest pieces is that community element. Like you have developed this really awesome community. I've met so many like cool people that I'm still friends with from the big quiet, which is awesome. So I can't wait till you're back on tour. I really hope uh, things Thanks, turn Sarah. around in 2021, and I hope you come to a city near to a city near me. Uh, Definitely. Yes, Jesse. Thank you so so much, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks everyone for listening. That is a wrap on our episode, friends. I hope you guys got some value from this one. I want to give a big shout out to Jesse Israel for being our guest this week. I'm going to link all his stuff in show notes, including The Big Quiet. And here's hoping we can start meeting in groups again in 2021. Who knows? If you haven't done so already, please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and leave a little two-second review if you can. I definitely burn myself out on this pod all the time. And your kind word, or when you share an episode on Instagram, like that's the shit that keeps me going. As always, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. And if you want to dive a little bit deeper, come hang out in the Big Kid Problems Facebook group. I post my thoughts about the episode and it's a place we can all communicate without judgment. And it's a place we can all communicate judgment-free zone. So with that, I'm going to leave you with a little weekly quote. Um, I actually don't know where this came from, but I saw it and it resonated with me. Um, It's the soul usually knows how to heal itself. The challenge is to silence the mind. Damn, that got deep. All right, guys, enjoy your week and I will see you next Tuesday.